Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I'm not alone. Stop for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. I'm pretty one look. Talk to the road. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a one-way bottom little Cherub face, cherub face little boy who would do it, whose life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone, there'd be an enormous amount of uh, especially at first, an uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. What will you have pouring out of your talk hole today, Barney? (laughs) Well, I've got to talk about the famous murder of chicken millionaire Frank Cienciosa by his longtime boyfriend and business partner, Doradus Jarrett Hygiene. Doradus attacked and strangled Frank in their luxury Perth penthouse in 2008. Even though it ends badly, I still want to be a chicken millionaire. It means you have a million chickens. And a million dollars. But you're probably poor because you got to feed all those chickens. No, no, I think you're rich. You're rich in chickens and in money. Explain. You would have a lot of chickens and a lot of money. Oh, and you can sell the chickens. I get it now. For money. For money. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> All right, there you go. Then. You're right there, champ. All right, what will you be talking about, chump? Well, I'll be talking about divorced dad Don Huckstep thought he'd met the woman he wanted to spend the rest of his life with on Match.com. But as their wedding date grew closer, he discovered the woman of his dreams wasn't just a pathological liar, she was also a murderer. Ooh, intriguing. Yes. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Okay, Tara, I believe it's time for you to get murdery. Don Huckstep grew up in Fowler, Indiana. He and his childhood sweetheart married and brought up two sons. After two decades of marriage, they grew apart and ended up divorcing in 1999. Oh, tonight we're going to divorce like it's 1999. Well, you know, it happens. People take different paths in their lives. They some people apart. like Prince, some people don't. Some people start off podcasting together, they're good friends, but once they get into the <laughs> podcasting, they find that the other person really fucking annoys them. Yeah, they and- really fucking hate them. 
They kind of like wish that they were telling a story about their murder. Yeah. And yet they aren't. In early 2013, after being single for the better part of 14 years, Don decided to branch out and try online dating. Oh, don't go to LinkedIn. That's a terrible dating oh, site. Oh, yeah, I never read any of the invitations I get on that dating <laughs> site. It's terrible. Yeah. I don't really like romance and PowerPoint presentations together. No? I think they go. That August, a woman named Terry Denecker contacted Don through Match.com. Oh, yeah, he didn't go with LinkedIn either. Good. They emailed for a while and then started talking on the phone. 49-year-old Terry was divorced with two adult children and had just moved to the small town of Fowler, Indiana, from Chicago. Terry told Don that she was a clinical psychologist with degrees from Northwestern and the University of Illinois. She also said she'd made a pretty penny from real estate deals after inheriting property from an uncle. Don and Terry met face-to-face for the first time in October 2013. She was fit and attractive with short blonde hair and had a quick wit and a good sense of humour. The old GSOH. You gotta have a GSOH. Terry and Don both loved to cook and enjoyed spending time with each other. Don said, There was something about her. It's hard to describe. I might have been sniffing magic dust. By January 2014, I was head over heels for her. Where do I get some of this magic dust? I've only got regular dust. Yeah, no, I snorted it and nothing good happened. Within two months of meeting, they got engaged. Oh, that's pretty fast. Yeah, it sounds like, I know, he couldn't put his finger on it, but I think he was putting something on it. Oh, uh, yeah. Something in it. I think he might have been a little bit um, pussy-whipped, perhaps. Yes. Don had wasted no time introducing his new love to his parents and two sons, but he'd yet to meet anybody from Terry's life. When he asked about going along on one of her trips to Chicago to meet her family, she'd say, yeah, we need to do that. I want to show you around. Now, Don wasn't worried about this at the time. He had his love goggles firmly on and figured since he and Terry were going to spend the rest of their lives together, there'd be plenty of future occasions to meet her family. The couple were planning a trip to Italy for an early honeymoon before they got married. That's putting the horse before the cart, but okay. Don couldn't wait for their overseas trip as Terry had been under a lot of pressure lately. Terry told him that her 68-year-old mother Nina Matoya had leukemia. In August she came up from Florida so Terry could look after her, but her condition wasn't improving. Concerned she may not live much longer, Terry told Don she was taking Nina to visit family in Chicago. On September 11th, Terry texted him saying, My mum passed last night. I don't want to talk right now. I just wanted you to know. As soon as they release her, I'm taking her to Florida. I'll call you when I'm ready. Maybe she had some kind of weekend at Bernie's thing planned. Oh, yeah, right. Don didn't hear much from Terry over the next week, but he wanted to do as she had asked and give her space. On the morning of September 20th, Terry called Don and told him that she was back in Indiana. They didn't talk for long, but they made plans to have dinner at his place in Lafayette the next evening. Maybe he was planning a fondue, something (laughs) sexy. Yeah. Well, is there anything sexier than fondue? Chlamydia, perhaps? Chlamydia is not sexy at all. I think it's quite... Well, I mean, that's how you get it. I think it's quite irritating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from what I hear, I have no Uh, experience with chlamydia. Yeah, yeah. Asking for a friend. He was keen to see Terry and hoped that he could lift her spirits. She sent him a follow-up text later in the afternoon that just said, I love you. 
Six hours later, Don's phone vibrated as he received a dick punch of a text. It read, I'm not going to be around anymore. Please don't call me or come by the house. Believe me, I'm doing you a huge favour. Terry. Oh, wow. Intriguing. Don was completely gobsmacked. He knew Terry must be devastated due to her mother's passing, but he didn't understand why it would make her break up with him. They were all ready to go to Italy on the adventure of a lifetime in under three weeks. He texted her back multiple times, trying to get her to explain her decision. He was worried that he'd said or or done something wrong um, to ruin their relationship, but he didn't know what, and Terry never responded. On the afternoon of September 26th, Don's friend popped into his house in Lafayette to see how he was doing. Hey, baby, how you doing? Yeah, it was was sexy Barney. He hadn't told anyone about the breakup and he wondered how she knew. Realising he had no idea what she was talking about, she filled him in on the unbelievably shocking events she'd seen in the local news. Ooh, what happened? On September 24th, The Fowler police had received a call from Terry's daughter, Gina, in Chicago. She asked them to check on Terry and her mother, Nina, as she hadn't been able to get in touch with them for several days. When officers went to Terry's house and knocked on the front door, no one answered. They saw someone on a couch raise an arm through the window. They assumed the person was motioning for them to go away. The officers went back to the station and called Gina to tell her that whoever was inside Terry's house refused to let them in. Gesturing Was it like they gave him the rude finger? Fuck yeah. Off. Like, nah. Uh, later that evening, Terry's son David drove from Chicago to her place in Fowler to investigate for himself. At 11.30pm, he also called the police. When nobody answered the door, David broke a basement window and gained entry into the house. Moments later, police heard David cry out after finding Terry out of it and rambling. A mobile phone, an empty pill bottle and a twenty-two caliber pistol sat on the armrest beside her. Terry's mother's SUV was in the driveway. Police had a look around the house and located clothes and medication that belonged to Nina as well, but they couldn't find Nina. Terry was rushed to hospital in Lafayette where she died the next day. The official cause of death was a lethal cocktail of morphine and the sedative butylbitol. When Don's friend saw the story about Terry in the news, she figured that Don already knew about it. She had no idea that Terry had broken off their engagement for no reason and then ghosted him for nearly a week. Don thought his friend must have misunderstood the news reports and didn't believe Terry was involved in any of this. He went online to read the reports for himself and he couldn't believe his eyes. Don promptly drove to the Fowler police station where he met with Chief Dennis Rice and told him about his relationship with Terry. While Don had never seen Terry's twenty-two caliber pistol, she had told him that she owned one. In fact, he gave her shit about it because he was like a twenty-two. Like, what kind of damage can you do with that? Laughing on the other side of his face now, isn't he? Well, it's a lady's gun, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. Well, fits nicely in lady parts. Like a little derringer you can pop in your stocking. The crazy news Don got that day may have been almost too much for him to believe, but it was just the tip of the iceberg. Ah, there's more frozen water, is there? So much more. While Don and Terry had been falling in love and planning a future together, the family of Chicago man Milan Lekic were becoming increasingly concerned about their inability to reach their loved one. Milan was an electrician at the Ford Assembly plant who owned a home and rental property southeast of the city. 
Milan was a hard-working but jovial man who loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. He was close to his family and never missed a celebration. That is until June 2013 when he didn't show up to his own 50th birthday party. When you don't show up to your own party, that's often when people realise that you've been murdered. Or you've had you've died of natural circumstances. Yeah, that can happen too. Yeah. But I've covered a few where it's the birthday party thing that that, yeah, that yeah. does it. Yeah, just don't have birthday parties. Well, That's I the don't. Answer. So no. Well, so I'm I'm going to be immortal, <laughs> or no one will just no one will notice when I die. Are you still alive? <laughs> I fucking don't know. This ain't heaven. I know that. Milan's family said that he'd become distant after travelling to Las Vegas in March 2013 to marry a woman he'd met online. Yeah, there's just the one. On LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. Sexy. His family only knew her as Terry. Neighbours remembered that she was often changing her appearance, including wearing a set of blindingly white teeth veneers. Milan's next-door neighbour said it looked like a mouthpiece that was painted with whiteout. <laughs> so there's that. A classy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Terry also told the neighbour that she worked for the FBI profiling serial killers and she was all like, don't be worried if there's heaps of unmarked police cars in the street all the time. They're just watching me because I'm very important because I profile serial killers. <laughs> Why would you even say that? That's going to bring suspicion to you. Because she can't help herself. She lies. She lies. Her pants are just always on fire. Never right. got a cold butt, ever. Okay. After the wedding, when friends and family came to see Milan, he was never home. They did, however, receive texts from him, which they found odd as he was more of a phone call guy. One text said that Terry was pregnant with twins and the couple might move to Florida after they were born. One said that Terry had given birth to twins, but that only the girl had survived and they'd named her Olivia. It also said that Milan was deeply depressed. Another text said that Terry was dying of leukemia and the next one said that Terry had died. These weird-ass texts kept being sent until the summer of 2014, but nobody in Milan's family had seen him in person for a whole year. In August 2014, one of his sisters cracked it. She decided to go to his house and demand some answers. Good for her. Yes. So Milan's sister knocked on his door, but it wasn't Terry who answered. She didn't get blinded by her white-out teeth. (laughs) (laughs) A woman she'd never met said that she lived there now, and that Milan had moved to Florida. Milan's sister asked around the neighbourhood, but no one had seen her brother. Milan's family started doing their own detective work. They learned that Terry's last name was Deneka, but her real name was Teresa Jarding. They discovered a Facebook page associated with her that listed a Fowler, Indiana address. On September 20th, 2014, one of Milan's sisters and her fiancé drove to Fowler. When they knocked on Terry's door, no one answered. They looked through a garage window and saw a Mercury Mountaineer SUV, a baby carrier, and many of Milan's possessions, including his prized Bears jersey. Milan's sister and her fiancé parked down the street and staked out the house. Four hours later, Terry came out with two small dogs. Milan's sister drove up and confronted her. Um, She was taking pictures of her the whole time as well, so that would have been weird. Milan's sister asked Terry where Milan was. She replied that she and Milan had separated nine months earlier. When pushed for more information, Terry became very agitated and nervous and bolted back into the house. Ooh. Ah. 
Milan's sister went to the Fowler police and told them about her missing brother, the bizarre circumstances of his disappearance, and how she came to be in Fowler. She drove. No, I think it was more than that, though. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, there was some other stuff. The purpose of her trip to Fowler. Oh, is that what I meant when I wrote it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was the night that Don Huckstep... So, later that night, Don Huckstep received the abrupt text from Terry saying that she wasn't going to be around anymore. Uh, you're dumped. Pretty much. After talking to Milan's sister, Chief Rice sent an officer to Terry's house to look into it. Yet again, nobody answered the door. The Fowler police took a report but told Milan's sister that she needed to notify Chicago authorities of his disappearance. Even when they discovered Terry, Chief Rice said, That first night we didn't think we had a crime. We had a medical condition. We thought this is odd, but there were no leads. Like he didn't think anything criminal was going on. On October 5th, after Milan's family learnt that Terry was dead for real this time and her mother was missing, one of his sisters named V broke into the garage at Milan's place in Chicago. After looking around for clues, she made a horrifying discovery. Coldplay albums? Ah, I was waiting for you to come up with something. It was Milan's dismembered body wrapped in bedding stuffed into a garbage bin. Oh, that's... That's kind of worse. Yeah, it's way worse. Well, a bit worse. An autopsy later determined that he'd been shot in the head three times with a twenty-two pistol. Oh. Uh-huh. His body was too decomposed for the time of death to be determined. Was it skeletal? I like that word. It is a cool word. About a week after Milan's family discovered his body, Terry's son David made another trip to Fowler to clean out Terry's house. While searching through a garbage bin, he found the remains of his grandmother, Nina Matoya. She was in her nightgown and, like Milan Lekic, she'd been wrapped in bedding. When investigators searched Terry's place on the night she committed suicide, they didn't find Nina's body, says Chief Rice, because they weren't looking for one. Well, we didn't find a body because we weren't looking for a body. You only find bodies when you're looking for bodies. Oh, I'm not sure about that uh, police work there. Not sure about the logic, but okay. Nina had been killed with a gunshot to the head. The bullet was a twenty-two calibre and was shot from the same make and model as the gun that killed Milan Lekic. A DNA sample investigators pulled from Terry's gun matched DNA on a chainsaw found near Milan's body in Chicago, which police concluded Terry used to dismember him. Well, yeah, you've got to get those arms and legs off if you want to fit it into a bin, I guess. Yep. Authorities were able to obtain a pretty clear picture of the timeline of Terry Denecker's crimes. She'd shot and killed Milan Lekic, then shot and killed her own mother, and where discovery of the murders seemed imminent, she killed herself as well. Milan Lekic's family believed that Terry killed him sometime around June 2013, just before his 50th birthday. Happy fucking birthday. This was after he discovered that Terry was opening and charging up his credit cards. The family have stated that witnesses heard Milan telling Terry to pack up her shit and get out of his home. Fair enough. He busted her. According to Chief Rice, investigators were able to confirm that Terry was using Milan's credit cards, but they couldn't determine for how long or how much she spent. And they can't find bodies unless they're looking for them. They also believe Terry was stealing money from her father, who is a resident of a nursing home in Chicago. Terry. Oh, elder abuse. Yeah, it's not cool. Not cool, Terry. Uh-uh. 
When Don was informed about the discovery of Milan Lekic's body, he said he immediately knew she'd killed him and mom was missing because Terry had killed her. He said he immediately knew that she'd killed him and mum was missing because Terry had killed her. He said it was the first time it hit me that she was a bad woman. Yeah, better late than never, I guess. Police suspect that Terry murdered Nina not long before she killed herself. Don believes the surprise visit from Milan's sister in Fowler must have pushed Terry over the edge. He said it was all catching up with her. She knew her goose was cooked. Well, she felt the walls were closing in. Don has since learned a lot of other secrets he didn't know about the woman he fell in love with. At the time she married Milan in Vegas, she was still in a 26-year marriage to a man named Nick Jarding. He was her second husband, who had the pleasure of her walking out on him on Christmas Eve in 2012. Merry fucking Christmas. Well, yeah, God, she walked out on that other guy. No, killed him just before his 50th yeah, birthday. Yeah, like she oh. doesn't know how to celebrate stuff well. No. No, terrible with it. Maybe she's got bad party anxiety. <laughs> you think that's what caused all of this? Possibly. Well, we just found the name for my story, Bad Party Anxiety. <laughs> no, that's pretty lame. Yes, we both are. When she left, she spun yet another bullshit story, telling him that she was checking into a mental institution. It would have been a good idea, but she didn't do it. After looking into years of bank statements, Terry's estranged husband, Nick, realised that she'd been secretly taking money from their joint account to the tune of over $100,000. That's a loud tune. You could buy a lot of chicken with that. You really could be a, a tenth of a chicken millionaire with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious now to Don Huckstep that most of the things Terry told him about herself were lies. She was never a psychologist... She didn't own properties in Florida, and her mother sure as hell didn't die of leukemia unless it comes in bullet form. I don't believe it does. The baby girl named Olivia that she'd told Milan's family she'd had with him was also entirely made of lies. The beautiful pictures that she'd sent them of the baby girl were just images that she'd found online. Of babies or No, of fucking crickets. What did you think? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) She sent them pictures of crickets and said, look at my beautiful baby girl. I named her Olivia. Well, when you say it out loud, it does sound ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, we're in agreement. Don said, I don't know if she was constantly making notes or what, but she never did stumble and contradict anything that she'd told me previously. After learning from Chief Rice that investigators suspected Terry's involvement in Milan's murder, Don went online to look at the Facebook page, Milan Lekic Seeking Justice. He saw the pictures Milan's sister had taken the day that she drove to Fowler and confronted Terry. Don did not recognise the woman he saw in the images. He said, she looked fat, ugly, mean. She had curly, dark hair. I kept saying, that's not her. That's not who I was in love with. She's way too fat and dark-haired for me. (laughs) Don said, you think you're in love with someone and you want to believe her. Now I look back and I don't believe anything she told me. Milan's family did not believe that Terry was acting on her own when she killed him. The family has theorised that at only five foot two and petite, uh, Terry must have had help from an accomplice to handle the body because Milan was six foot two and weighed 230 pounds apparently. Well, that's why she got the chainsaw, because she might have to take a couple of trips. You know when you've got too much to carry out? You need to cut it with a chainsaw. You cut it up with a chainsaw yeah, and, yes. then, and then, yeah, do a couple of trips. Okay, makes sense when, we, when you put it that way. Yeah. 
Don Huckstep says that he rarely thinks about Terry anymore. He said, this is the stuff you see on TV and it happens to other people now and then. But having been through it, I'm a lot more sympathetic. Although it was a loss to realise the woman he thought he knew and loved never really existed, Don is philosophical about the experience. He believes if Milan's family hadn't uncovered Terry's murderous past, he probably would not be alive today. Yeah, that's possibly true. Yeah, well, once she ran through the money she had, she probably would have started, like, sponging Mm. off him and then he would have become inconvenient and she'd want to do something about that. Though I was thinking while you were telling me this story... About something entirely different because you were bored. Something into, I saw a bird flying outside <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. Um, if only Tara would shut up so I can talk. You know how it was three weeks before uh, they were going to go on their trip to Italy? Yep. That, wouldn't you think that would be a good way for her to get away? Get out of the country? Oh, and just stay in Italy? And stay in Italy? Maybe she meant that text. Um. I've done some really bad things and I don't want to involve you in this. Maybe she truly loved him. And that's why she didn't want to and that's why she dumped him. Cuz if she wanted to take him for a ride, oh, she wouldn't and, have dumped him. She wouldn't have dumped him. Yeah. She would have just drove there and went to Italy. So that maybe her last act was actually to do the right thing and distance herself and kill her mother. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well, I've all thought about it. Uh, no, to distance herself from Ron. Don. Oh, sorry, um, Don. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um, like he was cleared of any um, like involvement very quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is actually interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I was just like, ah, lying bitch. But uh, yeah, she didn't have to say anything to him. That's correct. But she probably didn't want him sniffing around either. So yeah. she wanted to just end it. I, I have trouble believing that her motives are pure, just based on I don't know the murder and stuff. But she could have got out of the country. That trip was only three weeks away. If she'd driven to Indiana. And, and, and gone with um, Don, she could have got away. Not necessarily. I mean, the the leakages were kind of all over her. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I have another question too. Is it more interesting than that one? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, about that uh, Mercury Mountaineer <laughs> SV, SUV um, in the garage. That there was a baby carrier next to it? Oh, she had this really elaborate ruse with the whole pretend baby stuff. Like, she used to tell the neighbours in Chicago that she was pregnant, even though she didn't look pregnant at all. And then she said that she'd had the babies. Uh, and whenever they wanted to, like, see them, no, they're asleep. Well, Olivia's asleep. The other right. one apparently so died. So she bought it herself. Yeah, yeah, she bought it herself. Yeah. Um, she, she kept the facade going that she had this baby, but not to Don. That was, like, part of her Chicago ruse, not part of her Fowler ruse. And this is after she killed Milan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he'd been dead for a while when she started making up all this baby bullshit. Oh, wow. What yeah. a web of lies. Oh, completely. You I don't know how she kept track of it. I'm guessing that her, her, her white-out teeth probably helped her somehow. Yeah. Yeah, she kept her shit tight. You yeah, she respect really did. That. She kept her lies tight. Yeah, you've got to respect that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if you're going to do it, I mean, you may as well do it well. Well, that's right. All right, Barney, you know what time it is. It's true crime nerd time. Hooray. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, 
movie, TV series, documentary, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itchiness. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. Well, I mean, I won't. I will read it out. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got one here from Taylor Weeks. Now, Taylor has written a true crime nerd time on a book, Hometime Killer, by Carol J. Rothjeb. And Taylor writes, This is a true crime book about a serial killer that took place in my hometown of Springfield, Ohio, USA. It's a lesser-known crime where two young girls were raped and murdered and the investigation that ensued to find the guilty party. This occurred when I was just a little kid. I recall my dad reading the book cover to cover in a matter of days. Ooh, she's a second generation true crime nerd. Mm, you got to like that. Yeah. Having read the book as an adult, it chills me to my core to think of this happening 10 minutes from my childhood home. It's an interesting read for all those into true crime stories, whether a beginner or a true crime specialist. Now, I had a look, uh, looked up this book, mm-hmm. and I, I, I've got to say, I find it quite intriguing. This is what it says on the back cover. Okay. In 1992, the small town of Springfield, Ohio, was shocked by the discovery of two adolescent girls who had been brutally raped and murdered. Investigators soon learned that four local miscreants had been accomplices, but DNA tests proved that their true culprit was still on the loose. Inexplicably, the four men continued to mislead police throughout the years-long investigation, periodically supplying false clues and leads. Oh, that's terrible. I know. And while they lied, a cold-blooded killer remained at large. Another victim was raped and murdered, and then another. Not until 1996, when a woman managed to survive a terrifying ordeal at the hands of her would-be slayer, were police able to catch the man who'd been stalking Springfield's women and children. He was William K. Sapp, husband and father of two young boys and a baby girl. Was it a real baby or was it a baby of lies? It was a real baby, not a baby of lies. And behind his seemingly normal mask lay a murderous rage towards women that he had been violently indulging for years. Here is a startling true story of a town besieged and the relentless manhunt that tracked Sap for years until finally bringing him to justice. And it includes 16 pages of shocking photos. Oh, you got to like a book with photos. Ah, oh, it's a picture book. It's a murder picture book. Mm. Do you think they're pop-up? <laughs> I do not believe they are, Tara. No, probably not. Oh. That would be a bit a bit in poor taste. Yeah. That sounds really interesting, though, huh? Yeah, I think there could be a case in that for yeah. us to actually uh, do an episode on. Cool. I'll look that up. Thank you, Taylor Weeks. Now, if you want to send us a true crime nerd time, just email it to us, bloodymurderpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just look up those deets on our website or in the show notes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Barney, time for you to get murdery. It's January 3, 2008 in East Perth, and Gerardus, a 100-kilo bodybuilder, and his boyfriend of 25 years, Frank, are having a god-awful row. Their fight began when 55-year-old Frank got annoyed at 45-year-old Gerardus because he couldn't remember how to print documents on the printer, even though Frank had showed him loads of times before. Frank called Gerardus nothing but a dumb fucking bodybuilder. 
But that wasn't what the fight was really about. Doradus was cheating on Frank, and Frank had busted him. Doradus had it bad. He wanted to leave Frank for his new teenaged lover. Teenager, huh? Likes the green bananas, does he? He does. In fact, Doradus was so infatuated with his new 19-year-old toy boy that he showered him with expensive gifts and offered him a $120,000 a year annual salary and a $350,000 Mercedes. Where do I sign up for the role of toy boy? Well, there are some, there are some perks. Yeah, yeah, well, clearly. There are some uh, annoying things, though. Ah, uh, what, like having to pretend that you like the person? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good at that. Oh, you're doing all right right now. No, not really. I feel like I'm <laughs> really just scraping by. Gerardus uh, told his new toy boy that he wasn't in a relationship with Frank and boasted to their employees about his new lover. Well, they work together, don't they? That doesn't seem smart. Frank and Gerardus had built their fortune as Western Australia's master franchisees in the Brisbane-based Leonard's Chicken Chain. Chicken millionaires, they were. Oh, chicken millionaires. Is there anything more glamorous? Uh, they were reaping turnover from 27 stores across the state. According to the Leonard's website, Australians love chicken. Well, that's true. And they're eating more every week than any other meat. They now eat 47.7 kilograms of chicken per year, 54% more than 15 years ago. I feel like that's probably not a yearly figure, more like a weekly figure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like a chicken. Mm. Doradus's family were already swimming in cash. Originally from Holland, they were extremely wealthy after investments in a Dutch coal mine and an Indonesian paper manufacturing business. But Doradus's father, who carked it a few years ago, did not want his children to waste his fortune. Doradus was not due to inherent part of the estate, believed to be worth tens of millions, until he turned 50. 50, hey? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Or was he just hmm. like, oh, I want you to get through like most of your life? Before I do this. Yeah, something like that. Gerardus had been Frank's partner since he was 17 after they met at the renowned Perth Gay Nightclub Connections. A year later, they had a ceremony in the style of a marriage to symbolise their commitment to one another. How sweet. Well, okay, so he would have been like 18, but um, Frank would have been like 28. Yeah. Okay. But dirty dog Gerardus had regular <laughs> affairs that would only end when Frank cracked the shits. And this was one of those times. That's when it got physical, and not sexy physical, Tara. What about Olivia Newton-John physical? No, this is punchy physical. Oh, yeah, I don't like that one. The day after their epic fight, police became aware of a possible offence when officers of the major crime squad were phoned by a solicitor shortly before lunchtime. They're probably thinking, fuck, man, I was just going to go and eat my sandwich. Yeah, no, it shouldn't be shortly before lunch. You should wait till after lunch. Mm. Yeah. They were told that there was a man at his office and there may be a body in an apartment in East Perth. A dead one. Oh, and they're like, damn, we're not going to get to have lunch now. A number of officers sped to the solicitors and waited while police checked out the apartment. There was indeed a body, the naked body of Frank. Had the fight got out of hand, Tara? Well, I'm guessing that it did. In hearing this, police officers spoke with the solicitor and were introduced to Doradus. Detective Sergeant Rosen advised Doradus that he was under arrest on suspicion of murder and that he was to accompany him to the officers of the major crime squad for a little chat. Doradus was interviewed at 3pm by Rosen and Detective Senior Constable Marsh. The interview was short. Doradus exercised his right to silence, although he did answer some questions of a background nature. Late in the evening, Gerardus was observed to be asleep on the floor of the interview room. I 
Okay, now there's there's a theory, isn't there, about um, people who have been called in for questioning who fall asleep in the interview room? It means they're guilty because they've got nothing else to lose. People who are not guilty are worried about it and they'll stay awake. That's what about theory. people who are not guilty but really sleepy? What about a not guilty narcoleptic person? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, you're throwing some uh, spanners into this. Uh... It's what I do, man. <laughs> I'm just here to fuck you up. He was given a meal around 10 p.m. I wonder if it was chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking chicken again. Oh, God. Do you not realise I'm a chicken millionaire? Gerardus remained in police custody until 2.26am when his property was given back to him and he was released onto the street. A request for a lift back to his business was declined. Police said they were not a taxi company. (laughs) During his period in the interview room, various forensic procedures were carried out in the world. No, yeah, no. I mean, they're being done right now. No, in the Perth apartment. Oh, right. Shortly after Doradis was released from custody, the investigating officers were given information by Detective Ailing about admissions said to have been made by Doradis to some work colleagues. It was now time to bring Doradis back in. Doradis was placed in an interview room again at about 3.20am. So they only let him go for 54 minutes. Oh, that just I- seems cruel. I know. So he went back to his business, got in his car, got some food Uh and was driving back, got into his garage and that's when the police showed up. Did they let him take his food with him? No, he wanted to eat his food first, but they said no. Oh my God, he should have eaten while he was out. Nah, well, yeah, he should have. Yeah, in hindsight. During the course of that interview, Doradis consistently denied to comment on the circumstances surrounding the death of Frank. Well, he was hangry. He was hangry, but it didn't matter to police. They had all their little ducks in a row and charged Doradis with Frank's murder. It's important not to count your ducks before they hatch. Mm, or chickens. No, but lizards do it. As long as they don't get in your printer. Yeah, oh, you that? don't want that. I no. do remember that. That was gruesome. I'm sorry, printer lizard. It was pretty gruesome. When Doradis eventually got to trial, he pleaded not guilty. The main thrust of the prosecution's case was that the relationship between Gerardus and Frank soured because Gerardus and a 19-year-old man that was employed in the chicken business. Publication of that teen's name has been suppressed, which we at Bloody Murder respect, so we're going to call him Kevin. Kevin. Ah, the name of your apparent first son. Yeah, he was bad. Uh-huh, that's why he's not around anymore. Now, you're probably wondering why they suppressed his name. I am, actually, because he's over 18. That's an adult here. Well, I did look at the suppression court documents and uh, he had some uh, mental health issues. Okay. But uh, a lot of it they didn't really say, but um, I think it was because he wasn't out. Ooh, you don't want to be outed by the cops. No. No. It was presented in court that in a fax to Kevin, yes, people still send faxes. How romantic. I know. Gerardus apologised for telling people about their relationship and said, after years of being single, I was so proud, I wanted to tell everyone. I'm getting some. I didn't think about how you would feel. Well, that's a little bit of an oversight, don't you think? I think it is. Yes. Taking the stand, Kevin said an intimate physical relationship developed between him and Gerardus after months of sexual innuendo. Well, pretty much every sentence is a sexual innuendo if you think long and hard about it. Oh, I see what you did there. He said in November 2007 he stayed at the penthouse overnight and Gerardus kissed him. Gerardus said he'd been waiting for that for a long time and told Kevin he wanted them to have a future together. But, so he's not single, but he's just going around going, I'm single, I haven't had a boyfriend in so long, but he's been in a pretty much kind of marriage situation since he was 17. Yeah. 
Kevin then stayed at the penthouse every night for three weeks while Frank was away on holiday, and they became physically intimate. They were. But the couple's relationship went south after Frank returned and all three went on a trip to Brisbane. Ah, Brisbane. There's a sexy holiday destination. That would have been super awkward too. Yeah, don't you think? I'm not sure there's enough chicken in the world. Being in a relationship with both of them and not letting on to both of them. That you're in a relationship with them. How would that work? Uh, On their return, Gerardus pleaded with Kevin and said, Frank had fucked up every relationship that I've ever had. Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, no, not if he's in a relationship with Frank. He later offered Kevin a $120,000 a year job as his personal assistant on the condition that he live at the penthouse and be Gerardus's life partner for six months. A life partner for six months. That's an interesting way of looking at things. Also, where do I sign? Yeah, well, you're getting paid. You'd be his man whore, basically. Well, you're not paying rent, are you? No. The day his teenage lover was due to sign the contract was the day Frank died. There's a contract? Yeah, there is. A man whore contract. Hey. They're, qu- they're quite common. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a good man whore contract. You can just download them from the internet. Oh, you can. Mm. You have to get a, a pharmacist to sign them. Yeah, a just, a justice of the peace, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's right. After their fight, Gerardus took Kevin shopping. Showing him a wad of $50 notes, Gerardus told him, get whatever you need or whatever you want. Just don't get any chicken because we have that. Yeah, plenty of chicken. What do you feel like for dinner? I'm thinking about chicken. Mm, mm, chicken. I'm a chicken millionaire. Did I tell you that? <laughs> I hey. made my millions in chicken. Hey, baby, I'm a chicken millionaire. <laughs> Kevin had planned to stay at Gerardus's penthouse that evening, January 3, but Gerardus changed his mind after Kevin told him he would not shag him. Oh, plain hard to get. Okay, well, I mean, he hasn't signed the contract yet, so he's probably like, oh, I'm going to be in for so much shagging then. I'm just going to hold off till I sign. Hmm. The state alleged Gerardus strangled Frank that night and later confessed to Kevin. Oh, well, that's not going to make him want to be your boyfriend. Early the following morning, around 5.30am, Gerardus travelled to where Kevin was living in Scarborough and after waking Kevin by knocking softly on his window... Oh, that's some kind of Salem's Lot shit right Yeah, that really is, isn't it? (laughs) He joined Kevin in his bedroom. I hope they didn't wake Kevin's parents. I know. Gerardus said to Kevin that he thought he had killed Frank by strangling him and demonstrated to Kevin how he had done it. This guy's pillow talk is very threatening. (laughs) It really is. Later that morning, Gerardus met with Jason Mitchell an employee of the chicken business. Jason's evidence was that Gerardus told him that Frank was dead and in the East Perth apartment. Jason said he questioned Gerardus, who assured him that he knew that Frank was dead because he had checked his pulse. Jason Mitchell said he had argued with Gerardus about the true whereabouts of Frank the morning after he said to have been killed. After being told by Gerardus that Frank was dead, Jason recalled asking Gerardus, Are you fucking serious? If this is a joke, it's not funny. Well, that's true. He said Frank was in the apartment. I asked if he called the police or an ambulance. He said no, and that he didn't know what to do. Well, probably call the police or an ambulance. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Jason told the court that Gerardus called the lawyers he used for his business, but they did not deal in criminal law. No, they're chicken lawyers. (laughs) We're chicken lawyers. (laughs) We don't know shit about murder. Oh, did you murder a chicken? Uh, Because we we can deal with that. We can deal with that. (laughs) He then called a solicitor that he knew. Gerardus told me he was sure Frank was dead, he said. Adding, Gerardus then did a strangling motion with his hands. <laughs> what? When asked what the gist of the conversation was when Gerardus was doing that motion, Jason said, the gist of what he told me was that he did it with his own hands. <laughs> oh, 
Well, you know, Jason can pick up on non-verbal cues, can't he? Yeah, gist. That's one of those legalese terms, isn't I it? I like the word. Yeah? Mm, reminds me of, yeah, don't worry. A list? Yeah. Sure. I like making lists. That's the first thing I put on it. Make a list, then I tick it straight away. Pretty sure we've covered this. Yeah. <laughs> In detail. Oh, on the John List episode. Yeah, actually, yeah, no doubt that would have been it. Uh, Jason said Doradus talked about what had happened while they were walking to the solicitor's office. Doradus was mumbling along the lines of, Poor Frank, I can't believe it. He was a good soul. What is my mother going to think? He told the court. He said he was responsible for what had happened and needed to do his penance for what he had done. The court also heard that Jason had suggested to Doradus that he either tell the police or grab some cash and get out of the country. I like that, like, you know, Jason's letting that out there. He's not afraid to let him know. I also told him he could bail, you know, run, go on the lamb. Or he said he wouldn't leave and he would take responsibility for what he'd done, Jason said. The prosecution also relied upon evidence of statements made by Gerardus to Gino Stefani. Gino was Gerardus's brother-in-law, who had agreed to wear a concealed listening device when he visited Gerardus while he was on remand following his arrest. So <laughs> they hid it in a chicken. They hid it in a chicken and he just wore it as a hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Gino wanted to get him to confess. He was pretty sure that uh, he, killed, he killed him. Fred. Frank. Frank. <laughs> Frank was not a chicken. Mm, I don't know. Well, it depends. That strangling motion he made, was it really tiny? <laughs> <laughs> right. Gino's evidence... <clears throat> why does my voice go up? Oh, no, no. no. Well, I can't. Um, <laughs> well, hey, at least you learned that I'm that's a learning what, what bunny. it is. Yeah. Gino's evidence was that he had suggested to him that Kevin was involved in Frank's death. Oh, Kevin, was that in the contract? The prosecution asserted that those statements were lies which provided evidence of consciousness of guilt. So he's trying to blame it on somebody else. On Kevin? On Kevin. Well, that's not how you get a boyfriend, is it? He's throwing Kevin under the bus now. Oh, Kevin just, like, wants to go skateboarding with his mates and eat a Chico roll. Yeah, and watch WrestleMania. Yeah. Like Brendan. (laughs) Oh, like poor little Brendan, yes. Gerardus' testimony was that although he had enjoyed a sexual relationship with Kevin, he remained committed to his long-term relationship with Frank. Oh, my God. Which is it, Gerardus? But on January 3, 2008, he and Frank had had an argument about work, after which Frank struck him on the right side of the face with the back of his right hand. That led to the scuffle, in the course of which Gerardus applied his hands to Frank's throat. Gerardus discovered at the end of the scuffle that Frank was dead. It takes a little while to strangle someone to death. Gerardus said that he had been quite open with Frank about his sexy fun times with Kevin. <laughs> My cock. As they had an open relationship. I wonder he, if Frank knew that. Doesn't sound I like it. I don't think Frank knew about their having an open relationship Maybe he didn't read the contract before he signed it. I think he was counting the chickens. Ah, before they, before they were hatched. You don't do that. You just don't do it. You just don't. Mm-mm. You're right, Tara. He said that Frank's only concern about his toy boy arose from the fact that Kevin was an employee. Ah, oh, don't fuck the help. You don't shag the help. Don't shit in your own nest. <laughs> and all that. It's not a saying, is it? It's a saying. Don't shit in your own nest. It means don't bang your housemate. Oh, yeah, gross. I never did. Don't worry. No? <laughs> nah. I mean, I lived alone for quite a few years. It would have been difficult. <laughs> Actually, I did bang my housemate during that period. Oh, been fucking longer. Dorada uh, said he was happy with Frank and he had no, and he had no desire to terminate the relationship. 
He denied any intention of giving a murder vehicle to Kevin. He expressly denied any intention to kill Frank or to cause him serious injury. He stated that his intention during the struggle was to stop what was going on, to stop him from hitting me and to stop things from... I was trying to stop the fight from getting worse. I just wanted to settle him down, that's all. He sounds a lot like um, the other guy. Yeah, he really... Jason. To stop him from what was going on. <laughs> to stop him from hitting me and to stop things like that. I was trying to stop the fight from getting worse. That wasn't bad, but... but I it... just have to... I wanted him to settle down, that's all. <laughs> that was my Dutch accent. Yeah. Well, that was shit, wasn't uh, it? Actually, I, I do know a Dutch guy that talks a lot like that. But he's like on the Austrian border. Yeah, well, that makes a difference, doesn't it? It actually does. It really does. The defence put to the jury that the state had failed to prove that Gerardus's act caused the death of Frank and argued that the pathologist, Dr. McCreef's evidence, did not exclude the possibility that Frank had died of a heart attack. Dr. McQueef? Dr. McCreef. <laughs> oh, close. Not caused by strangulation. Sorry, I fucked your point. It's all right. I, I, I love Dr. McQueef. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. The gynecologist, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not sure where you go, but okay. I like it when she visits. I hear a little. <laughs> I, I, I hear a little behind me, and I love it. Oh no, Doctor uh, The defence further asserted that the state had failed to prove that Gerardus had a motive to kill Frank. Well, ah, uh, contraire. I disagree. I think he did have a motive. Don't well, you think? okay. If they're business partners, did he stand to inherit his part of the business? More oh, chicken, yeah. more chicken for Gerardus. More chickens for Gerardus. And Giratus. then he could give some chickens to his little toy boys. That's right. The defence also replied upon self-defence as an unprovoked assault. Gerardus said Frank had assaulted and threatened him in the past, but more on that later, Tara. Mm. The only witness to the events which preceded the death of Frank was Gerardus. His testimony was that when they awoke on the morning of January 3, he and Frank had a chat over a cup of coffee. Frank stated that he was feeling very tired. Gerardus said that instead of going to work, Frank should stay home and go to bed for a couple of hours and come into work later. See, that sounds like a good plan so far. Well, Frank liked this plan. He agreed. Gerardus then left for work. Later that morning, he called Frank and asked him to come into the office to help him print out some financial figures off the computer. Gerardus said he couldn't get the printer to fucking work. Oh, did he have a lizard in it? Maybe. Oh, that's traumatic, mostly for the lizard. Now, Gerardus is very frustrated, and he asked Frank to come into work, but Frank didn't want to. There was a phone conversation later that morning in which Gerardus repeated his request to Frank. Come fix the fucking printer. That's right. However, Frank said no and invited Gerardus to return to the apartment to get into bed. That's not how you fix a printer. No. Nah, sexy, I've fallen for that before. Sexy times doesn't fix printers. Nah, unless you're a lizard. <laughs> and how does that work? I don't know. I didn't really think it through before it flew out of my cake hole. <laughs> it plopped out, didn't it? Yeah. It, just <laughs> it queefed out, actually. Yeah, it was, is a, that, is it that was you, a face queef. Is that you, Dr. McQueef? <laughs> Are you here? <laughs> so Gerardus then travelled to the apartment. Not with the intention of getting into bed for sexy times. Did he bring the printer with him? <laughs> I think he did. But with the intention of getting Frank out of the bed and into the office. Gerardus got there at 12.30pm and went to Frank's bedroom. He saw Frank asleep, although he awoke Gerardus when he called out his name. Frank. Frank. Frank! Ah! Gerardus then sat on the left-hand side of the bed. 
He repeated his request to Frank to come to work to run the figures off the computer. Frank, do you want to come into work? You could fix the printer. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty cool, actually. (laughs) No, according to Gerardus, Frank responded by requesting him to lie down with him. That's not how you fix the printer, Frank. According to Gerardus, they became annoyed with each other because Frank had shown Gerardus how to run off the report several times in the past. Are there no other employees? Could he not, like, Google how to do this? Yeah, I don't know. Gerardus said he started crying because of his frustration and annoyance. Well, it's not easy being a chicken millionaire, is it? It's not. And he moved from the side of the bed to sit on a leather chair in the bedroom. His crying chair. He's crying. He <laughs> I know his... I know all there is to know about the crying chair. Oh, now you've done it. I've got to go and sit in the crying chair now. <laughs> <laughs> By then, Frank was sitting on the side of the bed facing Gerardus. Frank was nude. Oh, well, he's not. I was going to say, you can't sit in the crying chair nude, but he's not in the crying chair. No. No. He's You're going to have pants on. He's in the, in the nudie bed. Yeah, the, the nutty bed. <laughs> Not the crying chair. According to Gerardus, they continued their conversation in which they were horrible to each other, arguing about work. Gerardus said he had his head down and his hands on his face when Frank stood up. He looked up and Frank hit him to the right side of the face with the back of his right hand saying, you're nothing but a fucking dumb bodybuilder. No, well, I mean, that's not very nice. Now, this um, made Gerardus see red, I think. According to Gerardus, the blow to his face stung due to a ring Frank was wearing. Probably like had a chicken on it. It was pointy. <laughs> he's chicken. He's, he's silver chicken ring. Yeah. Man, that's smart. When asked about his emotional response, he replied, I was pissed off. I was pissed off. Oh, please, no. I'm sorry, Marius. Du- I have a Dutch friend. He listens. He also said that he was angry and disappointed and was getting up to leave the room. Oh, that's it. I'm getting out of the crying chair. Yeah. I'm going into the storm off room now. (laughs) It has like heaps of doors so you can just slam them all. Yeah. (laughs) According to Gerardus, at that point, Frank grabbed the top part of his shirt and pulled him upwards towards him. Gerardus said he thought he was going to be hit again and that he was going to be hurt. He said he was scared and frightened. I was scared and frightened? Yeah, just use one word, Gerardus. Yeah, come on, God. You could say I was very scared. Terribly frightened. I was hugely frightened. Yes, I only weigh 100 kilos and I'm a bodybuilder. This yeah. slap could kill me. Gerardus testified Frank had assaulted him in the past on three separate occasions. Oh, well, that's not cool. Dig this, Tara. <laughs> Do you really think I'm going to dig this assault? Oh, yeah, you're going to dig oh, this. Oh, excellent. Because these are Gerardus's words, by the way. Mm-hmm. First in 1986, Frank was arrested and convicted of unlawful wounding after stabbing him in the back of the neck with a piece of broken plate. Oh, do you think there was like a, a really big fight where they threw crockery at each other first? According to Gerardus, that incident occurred after a heated argument. He stated that he needed 10 stitches after the plate stabbing incident. Yeah, see, I never got stabbed with any of it. Gerardus also told the court that in 2004, Frank had struck him in the left temple with an electric iron oh. in the course of a fight. Yeah, that, that would hurt. It would. I wonder if he grabbed the cord and swung it around. Oh, then it would have so much momentum. No. Good use of the word momentum, by the way. Thanks. Finally, Gerardus said that he had argued with Frank about three days prior to Christmas 2007. In the course of the argument, Frank pushed him in such a way that his head knocked against an open cupboard door, causing a minor abrasion that was still evident on Christmas Day. Well, that would just ruin your day, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to explain it. So, like, 
It was only Gerardus saying this though, right? So I wonder if Frank also had a series of injuries. Like, you know, I wonder if they just went at it sometimes. Well, the only one there that we can sort of um, substantiate is the broken plate one because he did he get charged get for that and there's, and, he was, okay. and there's medical evidence. Okay, all right. Well, that's real. So that's, yeah. that, that's that. Anyway, back to the row. He then grabbed Frank by the throat with his left hand. At the same time, he smacked Frank in the mouth with his right fist once or twice to try and stop him from hitting me. They then fell on the bed, lying diagonally across the bed, with him holding Frank's throat with his left hand. The next thing Doradus recalls was sitting on top of Frank with his legs straddled across him. He noticed Frank was not moving. His eyes were open and glazed, and his chest was not moving. He got off and tried to resuscitate him by giving him mouth to mouth. However, he formed the view that Frank had died, after which he made him comfortable and turned on the air conditioning onto super cold. Um, what? Why would he do that? Also, like, if he actually cared about him, he might have put some, like, underpants on him or something so that he wasn't, like, dead and naked for all the police to see. That would be something that would be, some like, good. But turning on the air conditioning is just ridiculous. I think in calling an ambulance maybe he might be the way forward. Well, that would be good too, yes. But oh. also, you know, I don't need to be cool now I'm dead, but I would like some clothes on. Would you like to know what he did next? Oh, I probably made a Pavlova and, you know, put on Dr. Phil. <laughs> That's close. According to Gerardus, he went to the kitchen where he smoked a cigarette before returning to the bedroom to check on Frank. In the course of that check, he again concluded that Frank was dead. Still well, I mean, it's not a state that changes, really, is it? Still dead. According to Gerardus, he repeated those actions a number of times. Still dead. <sighs> Still dead. He then changed his shirt and left the apartment to meet Kevin to go shopping. Oh, see, that sounds cold. When asked to express an opinion as to the cause of death, a pathologist, Dr. McCreef, <laughs> not Dr. McQueef, <laughs> replied that the injuries she observed were consistent with neck compression. She expressed the view that this was the most likely cause of death and explained at length the reasons for that view. She also explained the various ways in which sustained compression of the neck can cause death. Under cross-examination, Dr. McCreef confirmed that she could not exclude the reasonable possibility that heart disease was the cause of death. Now, the defence really went after this. Mm -hmm. Now, there was some... I, I, I read the pathologist's report, and I won't... Well, aren't you clever? <laughs> well, I can read. Uh, there were narrow, narrowings of the arteries there, mm -hmm. but not enough to cause a heart attack, really. Yeah, I mean, they, that's pretty measurable. Yeah. And, and, and look, this pathologist said, look, I've seen much narrower arteries that haven't caused a heart attack. Mm. Uh, also, did, did he have, like, broken neck bones? He had the, some broken yeah. neck bones. And he also had the bleeding in the eyeballs, too, which is mm, quite... That's um, a tell. A tell of strangulation. Or of asphyxiation. Yeah. A jury of eight men and four women took four hours to find Gerardus not guilty of the more serious charge of willful murder, but, Tara, mm. guilty of murder. Okay. There's a difference. Yeah. Justice John McKechnie sentenced a chicken shop millionaire to life in jail, setting a non-parole period of 13 years and six months. So there you go. Okay. But there's more, Tara. There's always more. Four years later, on March 26, 2013, Gerardus was found dead in his cell at Acacia Prison. Gerardus was last seen alive about 5am when his cell was unlocked and he appeared his normal self. A fellow inmate raised the alarm about 6.30am after he found Gerardus hanging by his neck with a dog leash 
from inside the door of his cell. Where would he get a dog leash from? Oh, I don't know. Dog walking? I do a lot in of that in jail? prison, don't they? Right, okay, sure. The 49-year-old could not be resuscitated. Apparently, he was an ideal prisoner and he was in a self-care pod and they don't have a lot of guards there. Okay. He also, he was a year away from, um, Inherit- from inheriting all that money. Yeah, tens of millions, yeah. And how long did he have to go on his sentence, do you know? Uh, he would have had nine years to go. I wonder, I wonder what that was all about. Yeah. Look, he had an appeal about three years before that, and that failed. But he did have a girlfriend. Well, he was engaged. I wonder if she signed a contract. Well, yeah. Wow. Uh, odd story, hey? Yeah. I, I thought it would have been like a happier story if, if you were a chicken millionaire. You know what? It's, it's kind of similar to the story we had th- that I did last week. It really boils down to another uh, story of domestic violence. Yeah. And that's really, he couldn't control him, so he killed him. It's domestic violence. Yeah, of course it is. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. I think it might be time for Aussie ads. I'm not really sure what that is, by, uh, but I am excited because it's part two and you left me on the on a, on a edge of a cliff last week. Right. So you remember last week, but you don't know what Aussie ads is. No. Tell me what it is. Aussie ads are tales of criminal stupidity, the likes of which I see every time I look at you, <laughs> with a quintessentially Australian flavour. How dare you besmirch my name. <laughs> my good name. Oh, your good name. You're a besmircher. Besmircher. <laughs> Last week I introduced you to the Deadpool of Cairns. He was a 17-year-old guy named Jake Bingham, probably nicknamed Bingo. Bingo. Yeah, he likes the attention he gets by wandering around city shopping centres dressed as the Marvel character Deadpool. Last week I talked about how he was being hassled by the cops to just go home, but he wouldn't because he was the hero we all need right now and he wanted to make a difference in Cairns by being a vigilante. All caught up? Yep. So it turns out that Bingo did indeed make a difference and the cops were right, he should have just gone the fuck home. Footage has been captured of the budget superhero involved in a spot of biffo at a bus stop in a suburb called Yorkie's Knob. Um, this was just three months after he pleaded guilty to being a public nuisance. Oh, that's just up the road from Yorkie's Balls. Yeah, well, he wanted to catch a bus from Yorkie's Knob to Yorkie's Butt, I guess. That's what he was doing there. In the footage, Bingo, in his full tight red Deadpool costume, can be seen exchanging blows with a shirtless older man who's just wearing shorts, while the cameraman laughs and says, I think the Power Rangers winning. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo claimed the shirtless man was drunk as fuck and called him the N-word before telling him to get the hell out of my country. What? He's wearing a red costume. What? Bingo said he would continue to wear the costume despite all the trouble it had brought him. He said, oh, this is nothing out of the ordinary. It's something I tend to deal with sometimes, but I'm able to contain the situation and, and handle myself and others. You go, Bingo. Since then... The administrators of Cosplay Cans have issued Bingo with a lifetime ban. No! no! They posted a statement that said, Cosplay Cans would like to state publicly that we do not condone this type of behaviour from anyone associated with our club at any time, in or out of costume. Business in, Tara? Yes, in or out of cosplay. 
Following this disturbing and frankly disgusting revelation, we've made the decision that Deadpool of Cans will no longer be welcome at any of our events at any time in the future. Damn, think of all the not getting ladies going to miss out on. (laughs) The post on the group's Facebook page said that ignoring the ban would lead to the authorities being called. The safety of the public is of the utmost importance to us and the fact that there are children in this video has made it even more upsetting to see. We are here to spread joy and happiness and that type of behaviour seen in this video is the exact opposite to what the cosplay community is about. Bingo said that he'd been waiting to catch a bus to a cosplay event when he was approached by a drunk-ass man who started giving him shit. In the extended version of the video, Bingo can be seen picking up the man's thongs and actually handing them back to him after the fight had stopped. Oh, that's uh, chivalrous. It is chivalrous. Bingo said, Oh, I managed to stand my ground, saying he can't overpower me. I could feel his grip loosen as in like, okay, you got me here, mate, type thing. Oh, he calmed down and I gave him his thongs back. Cairns police said no complaint had been lodged over the incident. Now, Bingo said that he hoped to be let back into the bosom of cosplay Cairns after explaining his side of the story. But as far as I can tell, he wasn't. Those painted titties are going to have to hug themselves. <laughs> oh, poor guy. You know, he was uh, just waiting for a bus. He wanted to go to a business, cosplay event. And uh, he didn't start the fight. No, he got called the N-word and got told to go back to his own country mm, uh, of red people. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man lives there. <laughs> he does. And and uh, Power Rangers also. Uh, so, yeah, that's the story of Bingo. I don't know, like, yeah, the fight wasn't great, but, but he gave him his thongs back at the end, so I don't know. Maybe in the future there will be a part three. Of, yeah, of the cosplayers. I'm sorry. Of the Deadpool of Cans part three. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening now, Bingo, get in touch with us. So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink because we're really thirsty, there's a PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And again, we just performed some bloody murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. And if you go over there, if you could give it a like, that'd be nice. Thanks, just a bit of housekeeping. Yeah. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Snapshit and Insta. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news galleries, more episodes, and, of course, our famous merchandise, including perfumes and shoes. Yeah, we're in it for the perfumes and shoes. Ah, there you know, there's T-shirts there and mugs and stuff, lots of different designs. You get my face on a Duna cover. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you make terrible life choices. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Like, ages ago, I met up with my friend Andy, and he told me that he had some really good news for me. So he was just like, oh, Tara, okay, um, I'm gonna, when I see you, I'll tell you. It's just such good news. So we called up, and he was going, okay, so you know Grindr, like how that's a hookup app. Well, they've made one for heterosexuals, and it's called Tinder. And I was like, okay, cool, Andy. What's this good news? I'm dying to hear it. And he was like, that was it. And I was just like, oh, fucking really? A female, there's dicks everywhere. Dicks everywhere. Oh, you trip over dicks walking out the door. I do. They had the intercom on in the room, and the 
kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Man, if you don't bring your bins in... Ah, full of dicks. Full of dicks, falling from the sky. Don't yawn and look up. Ah, dicks in your eyes and your Uh, nose and your mouth. Open the fridge, a dozen dicks fall out. Oh, I've got to rake all the dicks off my front lawn (laughs) all the time into the gutter. Sometimes Um, I I put them in a little pile and set fire to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I notice that when it rains, there's like a lot of water flowing down your windows and shit because your your drain pipes aren't there. They're all just full of dicks, aren't they? They do get full up Mm, with dicks. So many dicks. A lot of dicks. Yeah. Speaking of dicks, I had this dream the other night that (laughs) I was going back to high school and I had to I had to I had to do these math problems, mm-hmm. and I really couldn't get my my little monkey brain around Your this math dick problem. Brain. <laughs> my dick brain around it. So I said to my my teacher, I said, "Look, I'm having some problems with this." And he said, "Just keep looking at the question, and you, it'll it'll." And it did, and it was I getting really fucking. And I said to him, "Look, I'm really fucking annoyed," and he said, "Oh, that's it, principal's office." <gasps> so I went to the principal's office, and it was a normal office, carpeted desk, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. window. But Mark Harmon from NCIS was the principal. He's um he's from that Navy one. Yeah, that's NCIS, isn't it? Is oh, that the one? Anyway. No, is it? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty Naval sure. Naval cunty idiot sperm. Yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah, thanks for, yeah. Sorry, so I thought you were wrong. He was the principal and he said, and I said, I'm here because, you know, I swore at a teacher. And he said, well, go and sit over there. And there was these bleachers in his office where there was heaps of other kids there, like bleachers. Oh, so know. not a crying chair. Not a crying chair. Okay. And I had to sit with them, and they're all smoking and drinking beer. And I'm thinking, In the principal's office? In the principal's office. He didn't care. And I went, I really want to figure out this math problem. So (laughs) I I said to him, Do you mind if I study while I'm here? He said, Plenty of time for learning later. Get back to the bleachers. (laughs) So I had to go back and smoke and drink with all the other naughty kids. Ah. And Mark Harmon didn't care. Wow. He runs a tight ship, doesn't he? No. (laughs) He really doesn't. (laughs) Pretty damn loose. Pretty damn loose. And I looked out the window and it was just dicks falling out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You just, just don't even look up anymore unless you're wearing goggles. No. Got to have a dick umbrella. Oh, yeah. It's raining dicks. Dick hat. Anti-dick hat. <laughs> you got to wear your fat dog as a hat. I have to wear my fat dog as a hat so that the dicks don't just like go straight through my skull. It's true. So many dicks. Mm, everywhere dicks. 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 Who sucks? Mark Wahlberg. Really? Why? Don't you like Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch or whatever he was? No, I don't. Also, he's like actually like when he was younger, attacked some someone and is racist and like blinded a guy in one eye. Uh, and they have Wahlburgers. Yeah. I don't like this topic of conversation. You brought like, it. You started it. Yeah. doesn't mean I like it. Right. Just try and do silent queefs just for a little while. <laughs> Boom fucker longer. <laughs> That's what it means. Finger bang yourself in the ass. <laughs> You ruin everything, don't what? you? What? I'm pretty sure that's what it means. Yeah, finger bang yourself in the ass. <laughs> we say that all the time here. Yeah, well, it, it's shorter to just say boom fucker longer. Not by much. Yeah, I'd look, I'd, can you just give me 10? I've just got a boom fucker longer. Boom fucker longer. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No. Uh, so, uh, boom fucker longer? Yeah, and look, mm. if you want to do it to everyone, you'd room fucker longer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you need more hands. And if you, you want to put it somewhere else, it's womb fucker longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an Australian oh. word. 
That's right. <laughs> and if you want to do it to a dead person, it's tomb fucker longer. <laughs> like a quick going if you want. I'm just surprised I haven't managed to weigh in yet. <laughs> I gave myself yeah. brain damage. Oh. Uh, well, if you do it in bed while you're hugging someone, it's spoon fucker longer. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Spoon fucker longer. Yeah. I like if you that. do it really quickly, it's a zoom fucker longer. Oh, right. Uh, uh, if you do it at a wedding, it's a groom fucker longer. Oh. <laughs> All right, at least I showed up at one point, right? You did, you got there at one point. All right, that's good. If you'd like to become a patron, just rethink your life choices. If you'd like to... (laughs) (laughs) Don't, all right? It's a complete waste of money and time. Seriously, we have to listen to ourselves all the fucking time. We should be giving so over. We should be giving you money every month (laughs) to listen to us. Yeah, like seriously. I want to buy listener merch. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I'm sick of the sound of my own cunting mouth. Tell me about it. Oh, fuck you. A whore. You're the whore. Oh, that's that's exactly what a whore would say. (laughs) (laughs) With my whore mouth. Patrons have access to over twenty-five other episodes. Early access to something. <laughs> Your ass. Early access to my asshole. <laughs> and some of my balls. <laughs> just, all, just the tip of them. And all levels receive free Barney farts. <laughs> oh, no. In little tiny jars. In tiny jars. And if, you, if, you, if you're giving us over $10 a month, we send you a vial of mom piss to wear around your neck. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just like Billy Bob Thornton used to wear. Yeah, he loves mom piss. <laughs> sexy. It is sexy. No. So many dead people in the world, and yet none of them are you. <laughs> Too personal? Well, that's exactly what a fucking annoying cunt would say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know when I used to do online dating many years ago? Yes. My first question would be Who's your favourite travelling Wilbury? I remember and, that. And that's how I would judge someone. Yeah. Well, there are only two correct answers, so... Uh, There's a lot of incorrect ones, like, yeah. what's a travelling Wilbury? Yeah, a lot of people said that. <laughs> yeah, oh, but also the fact that your online dating, like, alias was Heathcliff just made me laugh and snort and tell you you were pretentious. Uh, yeah. Heathcliff is not cool. Hey, Barney... He's a horrible guy from Wuthering Heights. He was an ass. He was quite abusive and really controlling. Well, that was a test as well. <laughs> yeah, if anyone talked to you, you knew that they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God! I was, I was, I was, I used to be a charming and handsome man and send girls poems and things. But you know, poems I'm... and locks of your hair. <laughs> oh, pubes! Pubes, <laughs> poems written in sperm and some pubes. Oh uh, yeah, I'm not much different, really. No, actually, it's just <laughs> fartier. Also, yeah, this has just got me thinking about the people who write the mean reviews about how immature we are. <laughs> they're right. Well, at least we're old. I mean, they're, they're not wrong. <laughs> I remember being offended by it, but now I'm like, you've got a point. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, spot on. (laughs) Yeah, spot on. You're right. It's true, we are. I've just been calling Barney a whore all day and laughing hysterically at it. I think it's the height of funniness right now. Whore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not completely sure I'm happy with it. I know, but I like that. It makes you a bit uncomfortable, and that pleases me. I got I S O H. Yeah, was that idiot sense of humor? Inappropriate sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I saw this little look of hurt flash across your eyes. I don't really think you're an idiot, wanker. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think you're a wanker. <laughs> Not an idiot. You're pretty clever. 
Someone called us, referred to us as rat bags affectionately once, and I think they were right. Rat bags? <laughs> yeah, rat bags. We're bags full of rats. Mm. Are they dead rats or are they wriggling? Wriggly. Wriggly. Oh, that might just be the maggots. Probably teeming with disease. Probably. There's another word for that, isn't there? Yeah, it's cunt struck. That's the one. <laughs> There's a movie about it starring Cher. Cher was in Cunstruck. Yeah. Right. And Nicolas Cage was too. I believe he played the title character. (laughs) He played the cunt that was struck. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. It's complicated. You have to see the whole thing. Oh, they always are. Cher won an Academy Award for it though. Wow. Quite a performance. Don was... (laughs) Don Don not was. Love goggles, hey? Yep. Cool. Cunstruck glasses. Don wasn't worried about That's this. That's what Elton the time. John wears. <laughs> it is actually. It really is. The couple were planning a trip to Italy. Italy. <laughs> oh, I've seen that movie, The Trip to Italy. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> they were planning on watching it. Oh, they were planning on watching The Trip to Italy. Yeah. Before they got married. It was like a test. If they could watch that together, they could do anything. Right. Dessert before dinner. I know, Barney likes that, don't you? That's right. I'll enjoy a big slice of cake and then uh, have a roast chicken. (laughs) A whole roast chicken? You're Uh, a chicken millionaire, aren't you? uh, I wish. (laughs) He did once eat a whole cake. Oh, that was my birthday. Nobody showed, well, there was nobody there. And so I bought a cake to celebrate my birthday and I ate the whole fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Were you crying? I wasn't crying. I was happy. It was a whole cheesecake too. (laughs) Didn't that make you feel sick afterwards? Oh, yeah, yeah. I felt sick. <laughs> Happy sick, Of course though. I did. Happy lonely sick. Happy lonely sick. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> Don couldn't wait for their overseas trip. No, that was dumb. Oh, I'm just itchy and weird. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wall there. You know, it's always been there. <laughs> I feel like it, because I ate so much this week, I think I'm fatter yeah. and it's harder to oh, coordinate. Well, the wall's possibly a little bit closer this week than yeah. it was last week. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You're eating everybody's feelings. Yeah, I ate my fat dog. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) She was cool with it. She thought it was nice. Ah, oh, no. What was her name again? Nena Matoya. Nana Matoya. Nena with an E. Nina. Nena. Nanka. I I feel strong anger towards you right now. (laughs) I'm just trying trying to get my head around this name, all right? What was her name? I don't think it's helping. Nena. Nana. N E N A. I hate Nana. you so much right now. Yes. Nana. Yes. Right. It's really not, not that weird. Nana. Not banana with the B A outfit. Is this good podcasting right now? I'm just trying to get this thing right in my head. Nina. Nana. Nina. Nina? Is it Nina? Which is what happens if people knock on my door. No. Actually, the dog will bark at you, but that's it. Yeah, I don't like answering the door. I don't. Ex- we don't do it. If I'm not expecting no, people. No, we just don't do it. They're going to be asking for something. Yeah. Even if it's five minutes of my time, I can't afford that. I don't have that. I'm busy. I'm playing Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy marveling at my awesome like CGI jugs. Is that what you're saying? Yes. But it's weird here because your front door is right where the lounge room is. Like That's, that's annoying. Ours is a long way down. This is good podcasting. It is. <laughs> what am I talking about? Well, what are you planning on doing today, Tara? Well, I'm going to change the face of podcasting with my witty repertoire. Repartee, bitch. Rep- oh, rep, I'll rep you a fucking tay. Yeah, you will, a new one. No, rip your tway, a new one. Something. 
something. Ah, uh, well, I mean, together we're unstoppable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, okay. We're old, but at least we're immature. How are you feeling? Are you comfortable? Oh, yeah. Lying in a bed of your own filth? <laughs> <laughs> I like my own filth. It's incredibly comfortable. Right. It's better than lying in a bed of your stinky, stinky butt pops. I'm going to ghost fart you when I'm dead. <laughs> oh, God. I wish you would just ghost me instead. Oh, my God. Barney's behind me. Oh, no, he's dead. But I can smell <laughs> his ass. Yeah, ghost farts. They're real. And they're spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> we are now. Cambo, mate. Happy, fuck yeah. Go. Congratulations on your second birthday. Who would have thunk you would have lasted that long? (laughs) 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 No, we all love you. You you know, I'm sure there'll be many years to come that you'll be around amusing (laughs) us with your tales. Cambo, we love you. Happy birthday. Boom fuckalunga. Oh, you got to say boom fuckalunga. You know what? We haven't done it yet because we need to say who we are. All right. Hey, Cambo. It's Tara from Bloody Murder. And uh, I'm Barney Black. Also from Bloody Murder. It's a podcast. You should listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say I'm Tara and you can say I'm Barney from Bloody Murder. How's that sound? All right. Hey, Cambo. It's Tara. And Barney from Bloody Murder Podcast. We just want to wish you a happy second birthday for your True Crime Island. That was just terrible. We would like to wish you and True Crime Island a happy second birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, and I'm sure there'll be many more to come. We love you. Boom fuckalunga. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Blow out those candles, can't. <laughs> 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 Should we do one where we give them shit? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Cambo, it's Tara. And Barney. From Bloody Murder Podcast. And we reckon you could get four fingers up your own ass. (laughs) (laughs) We think three. I think you're not aiming, like, it's not high enough. It's broad enough with three. Look, dude, you just got to relax and you can get that fourth finger up there, you know? (laughs) That's what you should do on your second birthday celebrations. Yeah. Finger bang yourself, man. You shouldn't rely on others to do it. I think that's what boom fuckalonga means. (laughs) Finger bang yourself. (laughs) Yeah, happy birthday, man. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> We're such assholes. <clears throat> and uh, there will be beer in my fridge when you come down, I promise. Oh, yeah, heaps of beer in his fridge. But, it, but it's none there for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can have one or two, maybe, if you're good. Uh, he can have as many as he wants because he's always good. And he tells yeah. us stories about his nundies. His nundies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love you, Cambo. We miss you. Yeah. Come you know, back. Cambo, you know, come back. You know why they got all stretched? Because he was he was celebrating with a bit of <laughs> self, self, self finger banging. With a bit of self boom fungalunga. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's not going to play it if we uh, ruin his catchphrase. You know, you, you dirty dog. <laughs> he's probably raging right now. <laughs> <laughs> How dare that cunt Barney say that shit? Yeah, those bloody Melbourne people. They don't know. They're from fucking Melbourne. Hey? hey? I, I can't do a good Cambo. G'day. G'day. Oh, I'm Cambo. G'day, I'm Cambo. That <laughs> sounds more like Russell Coit. <laughs> oh, g'day. This is Cambo. 
And oh, I'm angry about my second birthday. Hey, I think Russian Tara should say a happy birthday <laughs> to him too. Gamble. Would like to, I, I would, how you say, I like to say happy birthday for True Crime Island two year boom fucking longer. Uh, yes, we use boom fucking longer back in the old country. It's, uh, <laughs> we use whole hand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is that enough? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 